Craft Beer Radio, episode 109, March 25th, 2008. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show dedicated to craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I am Jeff Bear. I'm Greg Weiss. You're getting good at that. Yeah? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so we're doing kind of a mix and match show. Yeah, we're doing some beers I want to drink. and um, That's fine with me. I mean, who doesn't want to drink beer? Yeah. Not sure which one to do first. I mean, we got the two high alcohol beers, we got the chocolate stout, and we got a Scottish ale, but the Scottish ale weighs in at 7%, where the chocolate stout weighs in at 5%. Uh, well, I mean, the chocolate stout is going to probably overpower our taste. Yeah, let's do the so Scottish, let's, even let's, though it's yeah. higher in alcohol. Hope everybody's having a good week. I am. Except for yesterday, the baby cried a whole bunch, but today was a much improved Babies day. will do that. At least that's what I've heard. But when you can't stop them, like, there's nothing obviously wrong, it's, it's frustrating. It's very mm. frustrating. So, our first beer is Robert the Bruce Scottish Style Ale from Three Floyds Brewery in Munster, Indiana. Three Floyds. Oh, yeah. Beer weighs in at 7% alcohol by volume. Uh, three, speaking of Three Foys, Dark Lord Day 2008 is coming up. It sure is. April 26th, 11 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. Wow. Wish I was there. Now, I'm smelling um, a lot of kind of uh, burnt malt. Yeah, I'm getting some... It's almost like a... It's like a dark roasted crystal where yeah. you're getting a lot more of the... Soot, stringency, the ashiness, ashiness, and stuff like yeah. that. The color is this. Well, wow, let me, let me take a look at the color list because I think this is like a 20. Yeah, 20, 23. 23? Maybe not. Maybe 22, 20, somewhere around there. Yeah, you might be right. 22 or something. But 24 is like black so, on the sheet, so. And if you don't have the sheet with you to compare, that's kind of it's um kind of like a little bit lighter than cola. Yeah, I would say so. A little bit more on the brown side than the darker. Pours clear. Still, ha- it has about a finger's worth of head, kind of a, a tiny bubble head, and looks good. I'm gonna give it a taste. There's a bit, it's not smoke malt, but there's this like smoky flavor to it. There's that definite, they definitely burn the malt, you know. They, they, oh, that's, that's lovely. <laughs> the aftertaste in that one, you just get this sweetness, mm-hmm. this caramel that rolls back up through. Mm, that's really good. Yeah, they definitely, you know, took the malt beyond caramelization into, into charring. And that contributes to some of the flavor. And I know that some people like Alton Brown would say, you know, uh, Soot is not a file of flavor. Well, in here, combined with the darker malt, it actually mm-hmm. works. I mean, it's like sometimes you ever, you know, you have a steak with this char on it, and sometimes you do kind of enjoy that kind of mm-hmm. carbon char. Yeah. There's a little bit of that flavor. Yeah, here. I wouldn't say it really gets too carbony. I don't think it tastes like a burnt steak or anything. It doesn't, like that, but, it doesn't, but that, yeah. there's a part of that there. There's part mm-hmm. of that in the flavor. Dark Lord Day 2008 is the only day of the year to buy Three Flights Dark Lord Russian Imperial Stout. DLD is a festival where participants can meet other beer enthusiasts, sample beers from all over, buy Dark Lord, try Oakage Dark Lord, <laughs> eat barbecue, listen to live music. Dark Lord 2008 will be greatly improved to accommodate larger crowds, including expanded parking, more porta jones, and shorter lines with more food choices. <laughs> and the date again is April 26th. Got that, please. Well, I would love to be there. Uh, won't be. Hopefully, we'll be able to make uh, a different arrangement. Oh, we're in. Oh, we are. Awesome. We are in. Awesome. Yeah, Craft Beer Radio will be bringing live to you Savor Craft Beer, the Brewers Association's food and beer pairing thing in Washington, D.C., uh, May 16th and 17th. Well, it's not going to be live. Live tape to your ears on your <laughs> podcast. So I'm going to try to have Julia on the show before Savor. We're going to do another teletasting. 
and we can talk about what Brewers Association you know hopes to get out of Saver and all that good stuff. If you go to the Saver website though, there's they have the the beer and food pairings. I know I was Did looking you see at that. that? Yes. Oh man, there's like 84 different beers, and like they have a little appetizer pairing thing with each one. And just like oh man, it, it looks like it's gonna be awesome. It is rather expensive, so keep that in mind if you want to go. But you probably buy your tickets early because there's three yeah. sessions, and I bet you they sell a bunch of them out. Yeah, maybe we should put the call out now if anyone's gonna be at Saver and wants to have a CBR get together. Maybe Saturday morning before the session or something like yeah. that. Let's do it. We can like meet out on the mall or something like that. Go swimming in the uh, pool of tranquility. <laughs> I've played frisbee on the mall before. That's always fun. Maybe we'll do that. We'll play frisbee on the mall. Well, actually, I don't know if you can do that anymore. They may have that cordoned off. No, it's still open. Most of the malls are just a big park. I was there last year. Twice. Oh, okay. You were there. Like, all right. You know. I used to live down there. I worked at the Smithsonian at one point. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, I worked at the National Natural History Museum. And uh, I do remember, maybe this is more post-show stuff, but I do remember going down there at one point with my friend. We were just like, we didn't know what to do. And so he we said, well, let's just take the Metro to the mall and play Frisbee. And so we just decided to do that. And we were doing that, and p- people were taking pictures of us. <laughs> it was like, you know, we just live here. We just decided to go. That sounds like a great idea. Saturday morning, we'll have the Craft Beer Radio Frisbee Party. <laughs> On the mall. <laughs> mm. This is delicious. This beer really is very Robert very the Bruce good. Scottish style ale from Three Floyds. It's um not your normal Scottish ale. Yeah, well let's pull up the BGCP guide for Scottish ale and let's see how this compares because I think this is a little bit more roasty than a traditional Scottish ale. We'll look at the Scottish Export 80 shilling, which is the heaviest one. Not so, the not the wee yeah. heavy. Nine C on the BGCP guide. Low to medium malt is on the aroma, accentuated by low to malt kettle car- uh, caramelization. Some examples of low hop aroma, light fruitiness, low diacetyl. So you should be getting basically a, a, a small malty aroma with a little bit of caramelization. You definitely didn't, definitely doesn't say roasty. Definitely doesn't say you know the the big the stuff that we're getting from here. Um, and in terms of flavor, malt's primary flavor, but it isn't overly strong. Well, that is not the case here. Mm-hmm. Uh, initial malty sweetness is usually accentuated by a low to moderate kettle caramelization. It's sometimes accompanied by a low diacetyl component. I think there's some diacetyl in there. Diacetyl is the butterscotch flavor. See, I'm not really getting anything like that. Um, to me, you know, it's a delicious beer. I'm not sure how well it'll fit into the style. Maybe call it a... It's almost like an American brown ale with less hops. Maybe. It's, it definitely has at the end, uh, you know, it says generally it's a grainy dry finish and a small amount okay. of unmalted roasted barley. It definitely has that at the end. There's okay. definitely that finish mm-hmm. that's grainy and, and dry. Very good. Oh. So it may not quite fit to the style, but styles sometimes are made to be broken. Isn't that right? Absolutely. They actually put all the rewards around the label on this beer. It's a 2000 Exceptional Beverage Tasting Institute. It got an exceptional. Really is delicious. I mean, if you're in, if you're in for a malty treat, um, and you know, now that I'm having more of it, some, some of that, the ashes are still there, but it, it's less prominent, mm-hmm. and I'm just getting a lot of the caramelized malt and stuff like that. It's really, really good. Yeah, this was sent in to by a listener, Brett, from Indianapolis. Thank you, Brett. This is... I want to say one of my favorite Three Floyds. I mean, sure, there's Dark Lord and Alpha, Alpha King, King, but this is good. Three I mean, Floyds, what was their mild? is incredible. I didn't like the Pride and Joy. I thought it was too bitter. I love the Pride and Joy. I thought it was great. Yeah, you did rank it really high. I thought it was way too bitter. This is delicious, though. Well, it must go up there with, you know, Lost Abbey, Great Lakes, some, you know, our favorite breweries that produce some excellent mm-hmm. beers. Before we go to the next beer, let's look at a couple emails that we have here. So we just got this message on our message board and an email yeah. from uh, Joe from Rochester, New York. He's um, probably 69 on the message boards. And he says, you always say your first goal is to entertain and then hopefully educate. I think you do a huge disservice when you use ridiculous terms like cat pee or urinal to describe beer. Jeff, is that what you learned in studying the BJCP? Wow. Come on, guys. Just imagine what if you have a new listener who's a newbie. Or someone trying to turn someone to your show of craft beer, I don't think they will want to try certain beers that you describe. These terms are stupid and not helpful to the cause or educating people about craft beer at all. 
I'm sure Jeff can use his BJCP knowledge to use proper descriptors that fit the flavors of the beers you were trying. Care to respond? Yeah, I find it interesting because I thought last year, last week we did a pretty good job at qualifying how we arrive at cat pee right. in the beer. And if he would have complained before last week, I would have said, well, you have a point there. But I thought we did a good job of qualifying that as a valid descriptor last week. But me, I mean, obviously he didn't think we did. To bring up what we said last week, we, we said that there are certain – beer is a biological component and there are certain – other biological components out there and there are some things that have particular aromas in them that are not part and parcel of the whole thing but is part of what you detect when you're smelling or tasting a beer it's it's a difficult thing what we do it really is trying to describe flavors how do you do that without using either gen- really overly generic terms or tried and true examples of flavors that you that you were familiar with. It's a really tough thing and it's something that we, you know, continually strive to improve upon. I don't know when the last time I used urinal as an adjective for describing a beer. I think the last time we talked about it, I kind of talked you out of it or something, if I recall. You know, I, I think so and I, I, again it was that there is biological components that have aromas. And in saying urinal to me is very it, it's loaded with disingenuous undertones i feel well i mean then again so is cat pee well, it, it, it's this you know cat pee goes in a cat urinal yeah. it's, <laughs> see, see, to me in my sick twisted brain cat pee is not as bad as saying something smells like a urinal i think that there are maybe there's a better way we can put it than associating it with urine but how you but but there is that aroma that comes across. So how do you get across that there is a distinct sort of ammonia musty, musty ammonia. biological aroma that is associated with some of these beers without that doesn't describe anything. If you say musty musty aroma, people don't really know what to think about that. That's very very far away from people's mind. It doesn't, it doesn't conjure up the same thing to every person. People in general have a better idea of maybe what cat pee smells like or maybe what a urinal may smell like. So they may be able to call up some of that, some of that in their minds from you know, memory from what they've smelled. Again, it, it's just something that we're sorry. I'm sorry, Joe, that you don't like that. And I apologize to listeners who don't like when we use descriptors like that. It's, it's again, it's a hard thing to do to describe these beers. And however, we didn't get a single comment about the use of man candy last week. No. <laughs> no, people seem to like man candy, which is, again, that's a descriptor that is, is absolutely meaningless because that can mean anything. We've, we've no, actually, people don't like man candy. Just no one took the time to complain last right. week. <laughs> I'm sure now that we said it, they'll be like, oh, I hated it, but I just didn't feel like complaining. We, we just use that to describe a particular blend of hops and malts that really appeals to us. I don't know. We, we, we hopefully will continue to improve and we'll continue to get better at describing beers. I do believe that some of the BJCP uh, judging guidelines and some of the stuff for describing beers – they aren't complete and they don't really give you a really good, fully rounded way of describing beer. And so what we try to do is to bring in all of our experience of all of the smells and stuff we've tasted and bring that into describing the beer. I hope that that's what we do. And we'll try to use less unflattering <laughs> descriptions. Less descriptions of waste products, if we can. So our next beer, Chocolate Stout from Fort Collins Brewing Company, Denver, Colorado. Actually, Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, American Stout is uh, 5.3% alcohol by volume, and it's a rotating release. Actually, this week I actually went to the websites trying to get more information. Most of these beer websites had no information other than... Just a tiny bit of marketing to speak about the beer. Huh. This one had a fash- fancy flash animation where the there was a and these lipstick kiss things showed up on the web page. Like, <laughs> well, that is a dark beer. It doesn't even have highlights. It is just dark and uh, has a tan head. 
I'm getting a actually I'm getting smoke in the smell. Of I'm this getting one. a roastiness in there, not really detecting that. So we don't know whether there's actual chocolate no, in this beer. Not not roastiness. I'm getting smoke. You're getting smoke. Yeah. In the flavor, I'm getting I'm getting a smoke flavor too. I think there has to be some. I'd be crazy if or I'd be shocked if there wasn't smoke malt in that beer. Yes, I agree. Uh, now that I'm tasting it, there's definitely that smoky undertone to the flavor, and it just sticks with it through the entire blast. You get first thing you get is kind of a, a wave of of dark maltiness through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. There's this, there's the uh, smoke, and at the end, actually, in the front of your tongue, you kind of get sort of this malty, almost crust, and in the back, it still stays a bit kind of aqueous, a little bit watery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um. It has a nice medium body. The uh, beginning of the flavor is a lot of roast, really dark roast. I wouldn't quite go into soot or anything like that, mm. but it, it's 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 like you know a lot of chocolate barley. Yeah, right. It's just like when you take some chocolate barley, dry stuff, chew it up, get that gritty, grainy, astringent flavor on your tongue, and get some of that. In There's the definitely that astringency, especially in the middle of your tongue and in the middle of, of the of the flow of the beer. It's um, I don't think there's any actual chocolate in it. Oh, it's probably chocolate off the chocolate yeah. malt. Mm. It's good though. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good stout. I wouldn't you know put it up there with the best chocolate stouts I've ever had, but it's very good. Yeah, I mean, we, I we wouldn't I wouldn't beer. I wouldn't compare it against chocolate yeah. stouts yeah. like Southern Tier, Chocolate Sam Adams, that, yeah. uh, you know, Rogue. You can't really compare it with those ones. Um, compare it with just a almost like a foreign export stout, you know, that lot of roast, like really roasty, but not it's that. How do I put this? It has almost like a, a it's not creamy, it's it's thinner, yeah, yeah. it's almost like a robust porter that's astringent than you know, a creamy, thick stout. I agree, there's kind of it, and it, it's really. I think the, the general difference, besides a bit of more sweetness in the flavor with the full with the chocolate stout with actual chocolate in it, is in the back. There's that kind of lightness and that kind of aqueousness that you do not get with a full straight on chocolate mm. stout because the chocolate kind of really totally flows over your tongue and, and does that. So that's really the difference. That's what separates these sort of chocolate stouts that don't have chocolate in well, it from. I mean, more so even comparing this against um, Rogue Shakespeare stout or. Um, Kalamazoo stout. Kalamazoo, I was thinking. You know, just this full-bodied American stout. I was comparing this against it, and this seems more, it's a little bit thinner. The astringency is a little bit higher. It's almost like a robust porter, like a um, flag porter or something like that. It's just, but the the mouth feels more stoutish. I think of a a porter, I think a little bit more grainy, a Mm -hmm. mouthfeel. Well, see, I'm getting more grainy on this one. That's why I think. Hmm. To me, it's a little bit more smooth. Okay. We do have different tongues. Absolutely. No, I mean, I am enjoying this. This beer is almost gone. It's going, the sampling is going very fast. Yes. So that's always a sign of a good drinker. The beer retard writes to us. He says, you have no emails for 108, so I thought I'd give you something for next time. I had some bad experience with beer snobs here in Seattle, and it made me write a rant. We should put, we'll put the rant up on our, uh, on our show notes mm-hmm. or something. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes beer snobs will get on your nerves. That's for sure. Uh, we tr- I try not to be beer snobs, although when I'm around people, I try to find good beer. And if there isn't mm-hmm. good beer, I, I may complain a bit. Um, but I, you know, aside from asking people to try to taste something, if they want to try something else, I don't try to force it in their face and, and yell at them. Although, although <laughs> the contrarian blowhard in me may, may differ because, uh, I mean, my friend Damien has brought up to me sometimes when, when I'm looking at somebody and they're trying to, you know, they're at a great bar and they're drinking a Coors Light and I'm like, ah, oh. snob. <laughs> Just, but I don't actually say that to them. Mm-hmm. It's what I'm thinking. Right. Right. So. No, I, I think the same thing often, but I'm not, if they're drinking that, there's you know probably good reason for it. Um, I actually didn't have time to go to his uh, link here to his um, to his blog, even though I wanted to. Uh, it just took me time to get these notes together. He also goes on good show, except for Jeff's shocking admission that he wouldn't have been in the mood for Pliny the Elder. I don't think there's ever been a day where I wouldn't have been in the mood for some Pliny. 
<laughs> he has a point there. I mean, today I can definitely go for a pint of the elder. <laughs> Sometimes, well, you know, maybe after a sour beer show, because it just your tongue isn't just feeling it. I can see times when you may not want a certain. I don't know. Super duper, one of the America's best IPAs. Right? Yeah, it's just stuff. there. There are there are those days. I will admit that, like Jeff, there are days when I wouldn't want a Pliny. They're they're few and far between. Uh, you've never had a Pliny, so you don't know what you're missing. I, I imagine I never want a Pliny. <laughs> I, okay, I never would want. I wouldn't want a, a, a Alpha King. Okay, um, but those days are few and far between. Absolutely. So I'm done with my Fort Collins uh, chocolate stout. Greg's nursing his. <laughs> We're drinking out of the Sad Adams glasses just because, again, they're just fun to drink out of. Yeah, they uh, just they're good beer drinking glass. That's for sure. The, the curvy Sam Adams ones. Well, all right. Well, let's go on the next one, I guess. All right. So now we're gonna kick it up a notch. <laughs> Bam. Yes, Emerald's here. This is the Hang Ten Weizen Doppelbach from Clipper City <laughs> Brewing Company. Weizen Doppelbach. Well, so it's a Weizenbach, but they call it a Weizen Doppelbach to give it an extra big sounding name. It's called Hang Ten. Can you guess the alcohol by volume? <laughs> Three, right? Uh, plus seven. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm not really familiar with the Weizen box. Let's look it up on BJCP. Okay. All right, so 15C BJCP is Weizenbach. Rich, for aroma, rich Bach-like melanoidins and bready malt combined with the powerful aroma of dark fruit, which plums, prunes, raisins, or grapes is what they describe as dark fruit. Moderate to strong phenols, most commonly vanilla and clove, add complexity. Some banana esters may be present. So it's like a wheat combined with a Bach. And... Uh, in flavor, uh, a complex marriage of rich Bach-like melodolidins, dark fruit, spicy clove-like phenols, light banana and or vanilla, and a moderate wheat flavor. That's that's a lot to put together into a beer, isn't it? It sounds exciting. <laughs> so so think like a, you know, a Franz's Connor uh, hopped up on steroids, you know? Right, yeah. Extra phenols, extra wheat, extra... Malt, extra everything. Extra, I mean, you don't get the thing with the Franz Connor. You don't get fruitiness with it. You, well, no, that's not true. You get banana, but you don't get like dark fruit. And so this is supposed to have some of that dark fruit with it too. Yeah. So actually, if you take like a Dunkelweizen and, and and hop it up, I guess it'd be closer. Yeah. To this. So this, this, the the look of this is is kind of like uh, an iced tea, a cloudy iced tea. Mm-hmm. This is unfiltered, and it has wow, minimal man. head. Aromas hooking me. It's hooking me. There's some alcohol. There's some sweetness. There's, Fruity. there's a lot of fruitiness there's there. This strange spice smell coming through, or almost mint, or something. It's I'm not sure what I'm. I getting. think that's some of the alcohol. I just you know mixing up it there in, in your in your nose. But I, I know what you're talking about. But maybe a bit of clove. There's this um I don't want to say smoke, but you said smoke a lot. I know. That's why I don't want to say smoke. <laughs> There's this undertone in the aroma there. I'm trying to identify. It's right on the edge of my mind of what it is. There's a really really I, I believe it's it's a prunishness. It's a real dark okay. fruit. It's almost like, oh, you know what it is? Take a whiff and think cayenne pepper. No? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't I'm know getting something get that. that's like spiking my, my nose, like you know, like a, a spicy like pepper. A, a capsaicin cayenne. type thing? Just like you know, like the cayenne has that like sweet bite bitey uh-huh. aroma to it. I'm getting that in here. Hmm. Um I get more just sort of dark fruit and kind of cloviness, but we'll see. That is a complex taste, isn't it? There is a lot going on there. There is holy cow! There is a, a real mixture of, and this really follows the flavor guide very well because it's a mixture of banana. There's these dark cherries it's and his, prunes. It's his, 
It's this overripe, almost rotten banana flavor, though, I think. It's just this really soft and gushy mess of a banana type flavor. I, I, I don't know. I think it, it tastes it, it tastes a little more underripe to me, or, actually. No, I'm thinking like, ba- okay, bananas foster. Ba- yeah, bananas, bananas foster because you have the vanilla with it, you know. Yeah. And there's definitely vanilla flavor here. There, there's a, um, whew, there's a, a bit of spiciness, a little bit of that clove in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, this is this is <laughs> delicious, and complex is a very good way to put this. I this still think I'm smelling cayenne in the aroma. I'm trying to narrow it down more, but there is a lot going on here, and I wish I could describe to you everything because this is this is one of those beers that is, I think, not a beginner beer. This is not a beer that you would put in front of somebody and say, here, try this, because it is very, very complex. There's a lot of stuff going on here. It's kind of like Barolo is not a beginner wine. This is not a beginner mm-hmm. beer. Right. So I've got a couple things on the neck label here that are interesting. First one is um, a little kind of public service announcement, but written in the, the Clipper City Pirates uh, um this year, bottle has a fine layer of yeast in the bottom. It won't send you to Davy Jones's locker, but it will protect your beer, your brew from the rigors of life at sea. <laughs> and then hang, that's cute. Hang ten is the heavy seas wheat beer you've been waiting for. A classic German style Weizenbach, slightly cloudy and bursting with flavor. Hang on and surf the heavy seas wave. Ten percent alcohol volume. So when they say bursting with flavor, that is not marketing speak. That's that's absolutely true. <laughs> that is fact. You know, it would be marketing speak to say bursting with wonderful flavor, but it is bursting with flavor. Well, you know, like juicy fruits bursting with flavor, right. and that's marketing speak. Right. But uh, this beer is absolutely qualified, unequivocally bursting with flavor. We can tell you that for sure. There is. It, you know, a lot oftentimes when I get a complex beer like this, I say it's hard to figure out. It's not necessarily hard to figure out. It's just fun to journey along with it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really just there's, there's so much going on there. There's there's because of the high alcohol and and the malts. It and there's a bit of flavor that tastes kind of along the lines of a Abbey Double, right? So you're right, getting some, right. Getting some double flavors in there, but then the phenols. And the the esters kick it back into this this dunkel wheat beer thing. It's just this yeah. Phenols interesting again are um, the spicy flavors, cloves and peppery things like right. that. Right, and esters are the fruity flavors. Yeah, bananas, pears, stuff like that. They're both given off by the yeast during fermentation mm-hmm. under different conditions. Right, this doesn't have any prunes or bananas or clove in it. It's just stuff that's given off by the yeast flavor compounds. Yeah, I mean like a, a, a Weizen yeast from Germany. Gives off a lot of characters to the beer. It's just a species of yeast that puts off a lot of those byproducts, those F, those esters and phenols. Uh, I remember the first time I brewed a Hefeweizen beer. I um, opened the yeast packet, took a whiff, and it smelled like a complete Hefeweizen. That like, was the raspberry. So yeah. I'm like, wow, all this flavor comes straight from the yeast. It's not from the wheat and the malt and the boiling. It's... The yeast give it all that flavor. The wheat just gives it kind of um, a lightness of mouthfeel. Because this, if this were using barley, it would be a much much deeper mouthfeel. I mean, this there's barley in here. It's not 100% wheat. I don't know what the percentages are. They don't tell us. But there's a significant portion of wheat, maybe 50%. Um, it's kind of clear, though, to be a very high percentage of wheat. It's slightly clouded because of... The yeast. Yeast, and maybe some of the wheat. But when I poured it, I was surprised how clear it was, especially being a wheat beer, because right. wheats leave proteins in the beer that don't settle out and leave the beers cloudy. Like if but they do have, lighten up a beer. They do yeah. lighten up the texture. Yeah, you'll get a different flavor because of the different c- chemicals that are right. in it, certainly. That's tasty. Mm. And those dark fruits are, are combining to make like a really... Interesting caramelization there. The alcohol is well hidden too. Which yes, it was in the yeah. aroma, but the flavor—you're not tasting that. Ten percent alcohol. No, this is actually uh, this is not burning you at all. There's no burning flavor, and there's not really a whole lot of evaporation going on. No. It's 
very well hidden. So you could you could get blitzed off of this, I think, pretty easily because <laughs> it is a decent drinker as well. I think you know there's a lot of flavor there, but it's a decent enough drinker that you could you know there is not anything holding you back from drinking more. It's a ninja. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I think this is I think this qualifies as a wild beer because there's. Uh, it's good. I don't know if I'd make it a 2008 wild beer or not, but it's very good. I'm I'm saying wild when I'm drinking it. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying the hell out of it. It's impressive and complex, that's for sure. But you know the the Robert the Bruce was was good too. I think, <laughs> I'm making for a pretty good show here. I think so. JDZJ writes in. Greg converting on stone. Just kidding, but you never know. At the very least, I applaud Greg's willingness and open-mindedness about trying it repeatedly. Not that I personally have a problem with him not liking it. There have been plenty of stellar brews that people rave about that just don't get everyone's palate is different. I enjoyed the show with an Avery IPA and a glazed donut. Holy crap, the two work well together. <laughs> Highly recommended combo. So uh, see if you can try that sometimes. Yeah, especially, you know, if you didn't like our uh, pancake pairing with a hoppy beer. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for... Um, for applauding me on being open-minded, I guess. Hope, I mean, that's what we hope for when people listen to the show is that if if they maybe don't like a particular beer, they can listen to us and see if they can find a really good example and then mm-hmm. look for the flavors. Jeff really opened my mind to a new dimension to these things. Now, I'm not going to say that, oh, I like Stone now, I want to, but I am saying I really want to try them again mm-hmm. and look at them with this new dimension. I still think it's probably going to feel a little bit too sticky to me. I don't think that um, the Russian Imperial style is going to get any better in my mind, but perhaps Arrogant Bastard Ruination. and Ruination may definitely get better mm-hmm. in my mind. Certainly. He mentions that the Avery IPA is his new fave IPA. That is a tremendous IPA. I'm not sure if you've had it. I don't think so. It's... um. It's very malty, so more English style, but with American hops. It, it's just a great blend. It's one of those sweet malty IPAs, and uh, and I can see how it will go with the glazed donut. <laughs> Even though every time I eat a glazed donut, I feel like a bad, bad person afterwards. Yeah, there's something about you know, there's something about donuts, and there's something about, believe it or not, McDonald's. <laughs> They have the same sort of thing to you when you're when you're eating them. They just they taste great. The, mm. the donut probably tastes even better. The donut just tastes wonderful. Yeah. And then afterwards, you feel it inside your stomach. It just feels like your stomach is going. Why did you do this to me? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I get Krispy Kremes, it's just like first two. You know, they taste wonderful, but then you're like, wow, why did I eat that? <laughs> With a donut, especially, you can feel yourself getting fatter. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, so the uh, last beer of the evening. Special little beer here. This is Paulo Santo Moron. Moron? Paulo Santo Moron from Dogfish Head. This is uh, their one of their new beers. It's a uh, American brown ale that is aged in these 10,000-gallon wooden aging vats they bre- built at the brewery. The biggest wooden vats built since Prohibition. And they're made out of this Palo Santo wood, which is this very aromatic and specialty wood from South America. It's kind of um, South American's sister wood to frankincense in Africa. Huh. So very aromatic. And actually, if you smell this beer, you'll be able to smell it right away. Hmm. Oh, and this beer is only 12% alcohol by volume. <laughs> Go dogfish. What am I? What am I smelling here? Let me top you off there. Give me an idea, because although I smell it, I'm not coming up with words to define it. It smells like um, a jewelry box or, or something. Some some kind of like it smells perfumey. Yeah, perfumey. Like maybe a little like cedar, but, sort of but thing. more spicy. It's a very aromatic wood for sure. Okay, cedar is a good example. It's not quite there. It's it's more, I think, it, it's a bit less on the woody side, a little bit more on the slightly perfumey side. Yeah. Um, hmm.
And they call this an American brown ale. This is... <laughs> it looks like a stout. <laughs> it looks like a stout. There are, again, no highlights, completely dark. It's got They're, a tan head. Got a little bit on the web from the website here. Unfiltered, unfettered, unprecedented brown ale, Asian, handmade wooden brewing vessels. The caramel and vanilla complexity unique to this beer comes from the exotic Papayan, uh, I'm sorry, Paraguayan Palo Santo wood, from which these tanks were crafted. Palo Santo means holy tree, and its wood has been used in South America winemaking communities. This beer is 12% alcohol by volume, highly roasty, malty brown ale aged in Palo Santo wood. It is a huge hit with our Rehoboth Beach Brew Pub when first released in November 2006, so it's coming back and into full production. At 10,000 gallons each, these are the largest wooden brewing vessels built in America since Prohibition. Is this directly this is directly copied from their website? Yeah. yeah. I hate it when people get it's wrong. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Use the apostrophe correctly. There's if the, it has apostrophe in it's, then it's possessive. It, <laughs> okay. Then it's not possessive. Then okay. it means it is. Okay, grammar if it, Nazi. If it has no apostrophe, then it's possessive. So okay. it's ugh. okay. But anyway, let me get back to my point. On their website, they have this little documentary video. It's about ten minutes long about them developing this beer and building the vat. It, it's a very cool documentary. So go to dogfish.com and uh, check out the documentary on, on their website. <laughs> now, the more I smell it, the, the that spicy uh, potpourri, cedary smell is kind of fading and I'm getting more of the, the dark, rich, roasty aroma. And Greg took a sip, and he's staring quizzically at his beer. Like he I start quizzically, and then I said, oh, okay, because I kind of – I understood it after a second. At first, I was thinking, all right, I just had a sip of this, and it's, you know, it tastes kind of like a high-alcohol brown ale, mm-hmm. but there's really nothing special about it. Where the special? And then I waited a little bit, and there comes the aftertaste. There's a lot of this perfumey stuff coming up, and there's mm-hmm. – um, you can definitely taste the alcohol again, but there's there's a lot of sort of potpourri-ish, perfumey stuff on the tongue. That's where the specialty comes in. But the, the very first sip I had, the reason why I was staring at it, I was like, this just tastes like a normal brown ale or you know, the high-alcohol brown ale to me. So it took a while for me to kind of see it, see what they were going for. I get it now. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's very lightly hopped. I mean, I'm not tasting really any hops. There's, you know, for 12%, there's probably a fair amount of bittering hops in there. Actually, Sam mentions it in that little documentary, which I just watched. The stuff went by so fast, I tried to take notes, but um, they use Warrior and Glacier and Palisade hops in it, but not very much. They use a Scottish ale yeast to, um, to ferment it. And then they use some brown sugar in there, some kind of special brown sugar. Yeah, there's no rewind on the video. It's embedded in the web page, so you kind of have to just watch it and, and go with it as it goes. It's leaving kind of stickiness on my tongue, but I'm not sure if I like all that much. I had to take a sip of water there. So we got an email from a listener this past week or week before saying he had this beer, and he said it was the best brown ale that he's ever had. We had a pretty damn good brown ale last week, the pecan. Mm. Yeah, that's completely different. That was a low light session drinker. This is a uh, kick in the teeth dogfish head beer. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. To call this a brown ale is a bit disingenuous, I feel. This is an American strong ale. Uh, disingenuous? Yeah, because <laughs> this is not a brown. This is not anywhere close to BJCP for, for brown ale. Well, Indian brown ale really. It's not so much either. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I think this is an American strong ale with you know modeled after a brown ale in terms of malt profile, but mm-hmm. it really is an American strong ale. I really would not call this a brown. If you call if you put this in a brown ale category, <laughs> then you're. I mean, you compare it to other brown ales, and they certainly won't taste. They won't have the kind of deepness that this has because this is you know high alcohol. And it has. Uh, a huge amount of malt in it. I, I, you know, I, like I say, the malt is patterned after a brown ale, but to me, this is a strong ale. You can call it what you want. I wouldn't judge this as a brown ale. I wouldn't. I, I would not, with a straight face, be able to call this a brown ale. But then again, I'm not a beer expert, right? Right. <laughs> 
Uh, so the beer I'm getting, last step I took, I held it in my mouth, I swished it around a whole bunch, got some different flavors. I got some more sweet, I got some of the brown sugar out of it. And then as you swallow it, it gets really dry and that wood flavor is this lingering aftertaste that you get. At moments it's pleasant, at other moments it's this soury, tannic thing that, you know, you kind of want sticky. You kind of want to rinse out of your mouth. Yeah, you, I don't like beers where you have to rinse stuff. This is a beer where I don't, well, I wouldn't say I don't like, but I, I do not like having to rinse stuff. And I think that this beer suffers from that. Uh, and I don't necessarily, this is not a beer that I wouldn't say, that I say don't try. This is a beer that I would say, if you really dislike that sticking on your tongue, this may not really be the beer for you. It's interesting. It has its moments, but we've had a lot of interesting beers tonight. Talk and about not living up to my expectations. I, I had really high hopes on this beer after reading about it and hearing some feedback from some people about how much they liked it. Um, my hype got, you know, put out of proportion. I think. <laughs> well, that's the problem when you hype yourself on things, I guess. Yeah. I remember hyping myself on Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. So we got an email here from. I don't know who it's from, actually. Beer Retard? It says, when I was an undergrad, I took a beer course. Oh, you know, I didn't put the name on there. Oh. From a unknown listener. <laughs> when I was an undergrad, I took a beer course. The final was to name the styles of 10 beers. This required knowledge of styles, not guessing the names. We were given a list of 2,200 beers carried by a local beer. That's a lot of beers as possibilities. As you two guys are two guys, as you are two guys journeying through beer, maybe a short list of styles to work off of for a blind show would be helpful. Say you name fifteen styles, omitting silly ones like double IPA. Have the boss go to the bottle shop and buy six beer styles, then you can guess styles and speak to the merits of each style while limiting the field of what can be chosen. Answer the question: What makes this style stand out in a blind tasting? I appreciate the thought. I don't think that's really. We, we have to keep modifying the blind show to figure mm-hmm. out how to do it right. I, I think he you know, had some good and interesting points there. The, the, the biggest weak point in a bunch of people's suggestions, including this one, is that for his, you, if you want to limit it to styles, the real key is to pick beers representative of the style. Right. And Heather can't do that without my input right. I can't give input if I want to be a blind show so that's the tricky part and not only that I think that if you hand us a beer and if you say to us okay this is double IPA this is a Weizenbach whatever it kind of limits the fun of the, of the uh, blind I'm, show limits the fun of us trying to figure I think that guessing is good in terms of trying to figure out style I think that guessing is bad in terms of trying to figure out what beer it is that's where we went wrong in terms of the guessing the, the guessing was mm-hmm. good I think when we were trying to adjust our taste to what it was and figure out what we were tasting and still I imagine on our second blind show we're going to have problem. on our third mm-hmm. on our 18th blind show we're going to have problems with that <laughs> I'm I'm I do think it's fun for us to to not know what we're getting and to try to figure it out. I think that the view the listeners were correct when they were saying you guessing what based on what was in your cellar didn't really work for them because it just right it wasn't. I will try to yeah. avoid that. The uh, knowing the style though, sure, it'd be a great experiment, but I don't think that's going to change our perception that much from knowing the label of the beer. Yeah. Because we still are prejudiced against styles that we like or don't like, you know. Not knowing anything about the beer other than the color is is pretty liberating because you don't know anything about it. And I think that makes for more pure um, uh, comments on the show. Yeah. That's our hope is that we can, again, try to illustrate how... Preconception colors your taste buds, and how you you know if you try to do something blind, really blind. I mean, like if you go to say the Great American Beer Fest and you're a judge, they give you what style it is, and then give you a whole bunch of beers. So you're blind on the beers, but you know what style you're tasting for. Here we were doing it completely blind, and we had no idea what we were getting. We just saw the color of the beer, the smell, and the taste, and we had to try to figure out what that beer was doing. I think that. The, I think that like like I said, we could do some adjustments to now. If we the were able format. to get beers that were representative of certain styles, 
then we probably have a better success rate. You know, I mean, like John Barleycorn. I'd love to try that again in a judging flight, label blind, but against barley wines, and see how it compares towards the style of barley wine. It just seemed very different when we didn't know what it was. So, but we'll try that on the next blind show, which will be what next week. Um, <laughs> soon, I definitely want to do get one again soon. So, you want to get on the uh, the ranking? Mm. Yeah, I'll go first this time. I'm good. I know what. I think that's me. All right. um, my number one beer. Just because I just... <laughs> I was really... Um, I'm saying um too many times. I was really pleased by the complexity. I was pleased by... A drinkability of the complexity and also how this was not a beer that you should be taking lightly. This is a very interesting beer. Hang 10. Uh, really, from Clipper City, really, really good. Delicious. Lovely. Interesting. Gotta go with that. Right nipping at his heels. I mean, just barely behind it. If, there, if you were to measure it, it may be a couple microns. Be Robert the Bruce, the Scottish style. Observing that measurement changed the outcome of the uh... <laughs> free show. Free show. This Robert the Bruce was absolutely delicious. The Scottish style, sort of <laughs> overtly uh, ashy in some way, that gave it a great texture. It gave it a great flavor. Beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. beer. Yeah. Next. Um, the Fort Collins Brewery Chocolate Stout. I think it was, you know, not a chocolate chocolate stout. that know any chocolate in it, but it was a good... It was chocolate, like how Brooklyn's right. black chocolate is chocolate. Right. It, it's a... But Brooklyn's black chocolate is also a double yeah. style, so it's you know, even more robust. It, it may have been sort of porter-like, too, so mm-hmm. you can go either way on it. Uh, I, th- I think it was a very good beer, very decent drinker. It just didn't... It didn't quite stand up to these two, which were, you know, stellar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the dogfish head, the Palo Santo. It's okay. I, I don't like the stickiness in my tongue. I don't, you know, I know that a beer isn't going to rank very high when I have to drink water in between tasting it to get the slick stuff off of my tongue. I had to do it with this. And especially, be, you know, that very first flavor, the very first sip, I was like, where, mm-hmm. where's the complexity? Right. Where's, where's the point? You know, I got it later, but... It shouldn't have taken me that long. Right. Gotcha. So I'm similar. I'm going to reverse the first two. I'm going to put Robert the Bruce from Three Floyds as the top beer of the night. I just really enjoyed that. It was a solid abomination of a Scottish ale, but it was (laughs) delicious. I'm going to put the Hang 10 number two. It was crazy complex, like Greg said. I enjoyed drinking the Robert the Bruce more, so I'm going to to put that ahead of it. The uh, alcohol in the hang time was a little bit high. It was hard to, you know, Greg said he could drink several of those. And I said he couldn't taste the alcohol, but you could feel the fullness, <laughs> the body and the calories in that beer in your stomach as you drank it. And that would definitely fill you up fast, even if you weren't getting drunk. Okay. And you would feel like, ugh. Um, well, I'm not advocating people getting drunk. I'm just saying it was right. great beer. Number three, I'm going to put the... <laughs> Fort Collins chocolate stout. I agree with everything Greg said. Where it wasn't great, but it turned out to be just this good drinker. It, it emptied out of my glass super fast. So while I didn't love the flavors, it was still this nice solid drinker. And the um, the Palo Santo, I'm going to have to put last. It wasn't my favorite. Um, some things it does well is you get this interesting wood flavor, but it doesn't taste like a pine tree, which right. is good. Because um, I could see how you could easily make some kind of wood-aged beer taste like a pine tree. So that's good. Um, I'd like to see a lower alcohol version. The 12% a little rough. Yeah, 12%, you know, you're not you're not really getting much bang for your buck Maybe there. the wood's overpowering at lower alcohols. In, I, terms I of your, in, in terms of what was that scale, the sobriety versus... Uh, sobriety versus enjoyability. Yeah. There, there's a little bit of that, but then there's the sweetness in the body, like you said. I think that kind of... It kind of it's hard to drink more than half a glass of that because right. of how full bodied it was. Maybe the wood's overpowering a lower alcohol. I would like to see it at seven percent, eight percent, somewhere around there. It's around where Indian Brown Ale is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But no, the aroma definitely hooks me. I'd love to... <laughs> I wish I liked it better because I love the idea of, you know, this cool aromatic wood and there's some great aromas in there, but... Would have put that on a little thing you can hang in your car. <laughs> some Palo Santo. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess in the Middle Ages they used the resin from Palo Santo to cure syphilis, so... Did it work? I don't think so. <laughs> that was related to bloodletting, too, so... Wasn't quite <coughs> all up on the medical stuff. So, uh, all right, that was our show, 109. Yeah, good. Check out the um, Hangton from Clipper City and the Robert the Bruce. Those are some really good beers. Uh, Hangton may be a little bit more available to people on the East Coast. It was a, um, I think that was, I think it might have been a one time release. Oh. So, not so much available. Not so much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you can find it. Check it out. <laughs> exactly. Ask them to brew it again. Very complex. Good stuff. And hey, look for a Weizenbach. Oh, and thank you to everybody who subscribed or um, donated and subscribed to Craft Beer Radio. Our, our plea last week worked. So one more time real quick. If you appreciate the show and you want to give us a little uh, token of thanks, you can go to our website, craftbeerradio.com, and subscribe to the show. There's PayPal links at the bottom left. You can pick your rate. You can do $2 a month. You can do $5 a month. You can do $100 a month. You can do $12 a year if you want. Um, if you subscribe at least the $2 a month level, we will give you a discount towards the anniversary DVD in June. Uh, we're still working out on what kind of discount that'll be, but it'll be a decent discount. A million dollars a week, maybe. Just, that'd be awesome. 